If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Always fun to be with you. We were, uh, we've been traveling. Uh, I was actually preaching in Izmir, Turkey a week ago today, and then we went and did a marriage retreat thing, and so uh, we're, and we're still slightly jet-lagged. I'm just saying that so you'll give me lots of grace this morning. But uh, such a joy to be with you. So I want to talk uh, about prayer today. You know, prayer is a wonderful privilege. It's a joy to be able to pray. Isn't it wonderful to be able to talk to God and know that he listens, that we can cry out to him and know that he hears us when we cry? Prayer can also be a struggle, so we'll talk about that a little bit too. But I've... uh, I've been helped by looking at prayers in the Bible. You know, you know, Jesus prayed, prayed a lot. He'd be out with his guys and they'd come to the end of the day. They'd build a little fire and lie down around that fire and go to sleep. And when they would wake up in the morning, Jesus was gone. They'd say, where's Jesus? And one of them would say, yeah, he's probably off praying again because this was the thing Jesus did. They would find him missing and he'd gone off to talk to his father. And the disciples not only noticed that Jesus prayed, they noticed the difference that praying made for Jesus, like that his dependence produced something that they coveted. They wanted that same thing for themselves. And so they said to him, would you teach us to pray? And he did. And it was so nice. He just didn't give him a bunch of tips. He actually gave him a script, which is very cool. And actually, we, we, we can see that script on the screens. And I thought maybe we could pray this prayer together this morning. So why don't we stand again and do that? This is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And, and let me say, if you're following Jesus, Jesus told you, pray these words. But, but here's the good news. Maybe you, you're here this morning and you have not actually started following Jesus, but you're allowed to pray this prayer if you want to. It's open to anybody who wants to pray it, okay? So what if we do this together? Let's just start. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm glad, thank you very much. I'm glad that I can pray in my own words. We're allowed to just pray spontaneous things that come to, into our hearts and into our minds. But I'm also glad that when I don't have words, which sometimes I just don't, I'm feeling things I don't know how to express, I have desires, or I'm just confused, and I can pray other people's prayers. There are great prayers that people have prayed throughout history, through the history of the church that are available to us that we can pray, but I think some of the best prayers or in the Bible, like the one we just prayed. Now, this prayer that we just prayed, you could pray it word for word, or, or if you pray it slowly, it can kind of open up for you, and it can be an outline for praying. So if you start by saying, our Father, and then pause for a minute and think what a miracle it is that the creator of the universe is your dad, oh, and available to you. You can talk, you can talk to the creator of the universe, and not only that, you can call him Father, This is really a wonderful thing. So you can celebrate that. And then you start thinking about his name being honored. 
And you think, well, Lord, help me do that. And wouldn't it be wonderful if people all over the world knew how good you were and praised you the way we would have been praising you this morning? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, so you're seeing like, you can just pray the words or the words can kind of like open up and become an outline for praying. I, I do uh, sometimes find it terribly difficult. I get all distracted, unable to concentrate, and then I can pray these things that have been written down for me. So now, now here's, the, here's the thing that I noticed about prayers in the Bible. Sometimes in the Bible, people move without warning from speaking to God to speaking to themselves or to whoever else might be listening. Jesus would do this. He'd be walking with his guys. They would say something to him. He'd say, yeah, that's great. And then he'd say, oh, I rejoice, Father, that you've re- hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to the babes. He didn't, he didn't even say, let's pause and bow our heads. I mean, he just like, he's talking to you, then he's talking to his father. And uh, so I think that's interesting. And actually, this happens a lot in the Psalms. Like it, uh, we have a slide that shows the 23rd Psalm, I think, which says, you know, so David starts out in this Psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So he's talking about him in the third person. Then suddenly, so, so David is, he's not praying. He's de- declaring something, talking about God, talking to whoever's listening. Then all of a sudden in verse four, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Oh, all of a sudden, David's talking to God. Now he's praying. He didn't warn us that he was about to pray. He didn't tell us to bow our heads. He just turns from talking to us and starts talking to God. And then verse six at the end, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And it's not really clear who he's talking to there. He might be talking to God or he might be talking to us or he might be talking to himself, which sometimes I do when I pray. I say, oh Lord, help me. And then I say, Tim, receive that help, <laughs> you know? So, so anyway, uh, that's the way, I, and, and actually I wanted to tell you that because that's some of what I expect to do this morning. I'm gonna be talking to you about a prayer that I sometimes pray. Well, I pray it fairly regularly, but I, I pretty much guarantee you, I'm not gonna be talking to you the whole time I'm doing it, okay? So, so the psalm that I'm, the prayer is Psalm 16. That's the one we're gonna look at. And I wanna tell you just a little bit about my relationship with this psalm. I started praying this psalm. I tried to memorize it. I wanted to. Pr- I started praying it fairly regularly, at least once a week. I'm praying through this psalm, and uh, and and I was trying to figure out, you know, what every phrase means. So I, I looked up all different kinds of translations, and I think, oh, I like the way this wording is, and I like the way that wording is. I think the wording that we're going to see is the ESV, but my wording is like this mashup of about. 10 different translations. And so, so I'm gonna, I'm, we're gonna go through this together and, uh, and, and just kind of like talk through it and pray through it, just like David did in Psalm 23. So let's get started, let's get started. Uh, it starts out, the Psalm starts out saying, preserve me, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. In other words, save me, God. You saved me once, thank you. Now I need you to save me again because I keep getting myself in trouble. I, Lord, save me from the temptations that constantly assail me. Save me from the mess I made with that argument with Mary the other day. You saved me. Lord, you are my safe place. You are my refuge. Jesus, you are the rock in, in, in whom I hide. You're the, you're the rock of ages that was cleft for me. Now I want to hide myself in thee. There is a storm, isn't there? You, Jesus, are my shelter. There are temptations, you're my escape. There are pressures, you're my support. 
There is an enemy, you are my defense. There is a battle, you are my shield. Oh, I wanna say that about all of us. I wish I'd been using plural pronouns there. There are pressures, you are our support. There is an enemy, you are our defense. There's a battle, you, Jesus, are our shield and our defense, hallelujah. Verse two, I say to the Lord, you are my master. The first uh, word in the, the, the Lord, I say to the Lord, you notice it's in uh, all caps. Now, that, that means that in the original language, this was the personal name of God. It's a four-letter word in Hebrew. It means something like I am. We think that's kind of what it means. It's probably pronounced Yahweh. Now, God told his people when he gave the law to Moses, he says, do not misuse this name. So most Jews stopped using it a long time ago just to make sure they didn't misuse it or abuse it. And, and so they always exchanged the word Lord for the name, the personal name. And most English translations follow that protocol like this. If you see it in all caps, it was the name. But here's what I think. I think we're his kids. He told us to call his father so we can use his name if we want to. So I started doing that when I pray it because to say, Lord, you're my Lord, sounds weak compared to saying, I say to Yahweh, you, like you personally, are my Lord. You're my Lord. Yahweh is my Lord. The king of the universe is my king. I'm looking to you for protection. I'm looking to you for my orders. I'm looking to you for my provision. Then he goes on to say, Every good thing I have, every good thing I know comes from you. Uh, some translations say, I know nothing good apart from you. Everything, everything that's good comes from God. Lord, you, you're the one that makes the sun come up in the morning. You're the one that makes the trees turn green and then turn all those beautiful colors in the fall. You supply the breath that I'm breathing. When I look at those children with their bright eyes, you're the one who makes that beauty. Every good gift, every perfect thing, James says, comes from above, comes from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. It's all from you, O Lord. And then verse three says, I say of the holy people who are in the land. They're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Some translations say, as for the saints who are in the earth. And I, I just want to say, God, I just, I just, my favorite people in St. Louis are the people of God. They're the ones I love the most. Uh, just let me talk about the people of God a little bit. Those who are set apart for him. Those who wear his name, embrace his values, love his presence. People like you. He says, they are majestic. They're excellent. They are noble. They are my heroes. My joy is bound up in them. They are my favorites. They are my delight. We love everybody, but I tell you, the people who make me happy are people who love God. That's who brings me joy. Now, I have a picture here. This is a slide. This is a very nice couple. And 
I read something he wrote once and I agreed with it. And I wouldn't mind hanging out with them. But I, I'd far rather spend time with these guys. Because I know what they're about. We love the same stuff, you know? So now here's, an, here's another, here's another. This is, this is Bill and Melinda Gates. And I, look how bright, nice smiles they have. Pretty smart. I'm sure I could learn something from him. But, but this is the guy who preached last Sunday. This is John and Linda Lamferman. And um, they've been friends for a long time, the part of the, the Jubilee family. And I actually, I think I'd rather be with John and Linda than Bill and Melinda. These people, these people are my heroes. They, they didn't get as rich as Bill. But what they're about, what they've invested their lives in is what I want to be about. Greater treasure than you could get. Now, now this next picture, this is a picture of some fellows who play basketball. And there's only four of them here because I was thinking that if, you, if I could be the fifth guy on the team <laughs> with Steph and LeBron and Kevin and Kawhi, you guys could not put together a team that would beat us. My team would beat your team. But this is not the team that I want to be a part of. I am a part of this team. These are guys who lead the church in Joplin. And I like being on this team even better than being on the team with those other guys. This is more satisfying to me. I got to tell you, I would rather be with you this morning. This is an honest truth. I'm not flattering you. There will be no football game happening anywhere today that I would rather be in than here. That's a true word. And you know, most of the greatest heroes in my life are people you've never heard of. I mean, there's new ones all the time. I know a woman who is currently turning hers, her battle with cancer into an opportunity to testify to the faithfulness of God, and it's changing people's lives. Now, that's heroic. And I, I think, you know, I showed Bill and Melinda, I would actually enjoy talking to them, I think, but I do not need to associate with the rich or with the powerful. Actually, I want to learn from people of humble circumstance, with people who are satisfied in God. And I'll tell you somebody I admire this morning. It's whoever's watching your kids right now. That's somebody I admire. Verse four says, I'm reading my translation. The sorrows of those who have traded for other gods will be multiplied. I will not pour out their libations of blood <laughs> or take their names on my lips. You might be saying, well, that's easy. I have never been even tempted to pour out a libation of blood. <laughs> but you know, he's talking about sacrifices made to some other gods, and, and there are other gods. You want to know what you worship or who you worship? Just ask yourself these three questions. What do I look to for security? Question two, where do I find my identity? And thirdly, what will I sacrifice for? What gets my time? What gets my energy? What gets my money? That's the kind of thing that he's talking about when he says pouring out this costly offering. I mean, your time is a costly thing. It's a valuable thing. Your energy, 
Where you pour that out. See, are you willing to give that time, that money, that energy in service of God's purposes? Or are you pouring it out somewhere else? And I think, you know, it's important to say that even good things can become God's. Money's not bad. It's just a bad master. People will sell out for the approval of other people. And that's pretty fickle. Even something like sport can become a god. I, I went to one big, you know, uh, college football game in my life, and I thought it was, the, it was clearly the most, it was like a worship experience. Because in the, the, everybody was parked out in the parking lot offering up burnt offerings, you know. <laughs> it was a religious event. I mean, there was like worship going on in this place. And, uh, but you know, I don't want to pick on that. I just want to say, I just want to be careful where I make my big investments. I don't want to pour out my money to the gods of chance at the temples of fate that are in those casinos up and down. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pour out my life to buy what poor security riches have to offer. I don't want to do that. And I won't take their names on my lips, which means I'm going to be careful who I look to. I'm going to be careful who I encourage other people to love and to trust. I'm going to be careful who I praise. I will look to, by the way, no political party for my security. And I will not sing the praises of any political party. And I praise you, O Lord, that my happiness no longer depends on the success of the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> it's a good year to be done with that. <laughs> Verses five and six go together. He says, the Lord Yahweh is my chosen portion and my cup. Now, the chosen portion could be a meal. So it could be like my bread and my cup. And, and it makes me want to say, you, you alone, Lord, are what feeds and sustains me. You, you, Lord Jesus, are, as you said, the bread that came down from heaven, and you are the source of the water of life. And sometimes, you know, when we take communion, we, we're, we're taking this bread that Jesus said was his body, which is life for the world. And we drink this cup that he says was his blood, and we know life in him. I found this old prayer from Thomas Aquinas talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper. He said, oh God, who in this wonderful, wondrous, wondrous sacrament has left unto us a memorial of your passion, grant us to so venerate the sacred mysteries of your body and blood that we may ever continue to feel within ourselves the blessed fruit of your redemption who live and reign as God forever and ever. I just thought, well, there's a good prayer somebody prayed, and it has to do with feeding on Jesus, letting him be my portion and my cup. You know, it says that, that you're my chosen portion, and when I prayed this, I got to thinking, yeah, he is the one who was chosen for me. Jesus is the chosen one, chosen by God for us. And not only was he chosen for us, now we choose him because he was chosen for us. And I do choose him. I feast on you. I feast on you, Jesus. I eat at your table. I drink of the river of your delights. I would rather 
have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I would rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I would rather be led by his nail-scarred hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I would rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. The portion can also be my portion of an inheritance. The line says, you support my lot. You guard what's mine. And the next line kind of contributes or adds to that idea that he's talking about property. Like God has given something to me. And here's the good news. Whatever God has given to me, God protects. God supports what he has entrusted to me. That means I don't have to be worried about losing. God is protecting me. And then he says in verse six, the lines, in other words, the boundary lines of my lot have fallen to me in pleasant places. In other words, you have established boundary lines for me and there's something inside there and there's something outside of it. And it's really good to have boundary lines. I'm glad I have some responsibility. It's good for me. I'm glad I'm not responsible for everything. That's good news. And I'm glad, I'm glad the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a wife. I'm responsible for her. We're married. I'm so happy to have a wife. I gotta tell you, I am very, very happy that I do not have five wives. <laughs> One is enough. I'm, I've got the right amount. I'm happy with what I've got. Actually, it's good for me to remind myself that I am. Sometimes I think I'm not, but when I say I am, I feel like I am. Because I'm, I'm, I'm saying, this is God's portion for me. I don't own everything. I'm not responsible for too much. I'm happy with what I have. Stephen Wright, you know, prophesied when he said, the comedian, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? So, but I have an inheritance. An inheritance, you understand, is property that you didn't earn. It came because you have family, your, your family. may have come to you because a family member died. Now, here's a miracle. I have an older brother who died, and I came into a massive inheritance. Uh, massive. And then here's the good news. After he brought me into the inheritance, he rose from the dead. <laughs> so, kind of a big win for everybody. All the riches of heaven. Yeah, this is true. This is Romans 8, 16 and 17. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't that great? Yeah. You happy about being a fellow heir with Christ? He's rich. You're fellow heir with him. All the riches of heaven are his. You're with him. You're his brother. You're his sister. So then in verse seven, he says, I bless the Lord. I bless Yahweh who counsels me, who guides me, who protects me. Even in the night, my heart, my mind instruct me or God awakens my conscience. I hear your voice. Isn't that a wonder? We hear his voice. We can receive his counsel from the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. 
We can benefit from his guidance. You, oh Lord, tell me what to do and what not to do. And I, I need that desperately. Your voice rings in my heart and your word is in my head. Hallelujah. Verse eight, I have set Yahweh always before me. Or other translations say, my eyes are continually on the Lord. Now, when I pray something like that, sometimes I think, you liar. Your eyes are not continually on the Lord. But I, I think that it's okay to pray some of these prayers as declarations of intent. You know, Lord, my eyes are on you. I'm looking at you. And, and if I'm not, I want to be. I want my eyes to be on you all the time. And then he says, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because Jesus is at my right hand, I, that, I tell you, I pray this all the time. This is a phrase that just came alive to me just recently. I just thought, okay, my right hand. Jesus, because you are at my right hand. I mean, he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he is also here with me. Let me introduce you. This is my big brother, Jesus, who is at my right hand. So I don't need to be scared. I'm not, sh- I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna be shaken. Would it be good for you to say, I will not be shaken? Let's do that. Let's say, I will not be shaken. Hallelujah. The world may be against me. The devil is against me. I will not be shaken. I wanna tell you something I know about the devil. He is not afraid of me. The devil is not afraid of me. The devil looks at me and here's what he thinks. Tim, I am older than you. I am stronger than you and I am smarter than you. And you do not scare me a bit. But that guy who is at your right hand, he scares the living daylights out on me. Because Jesus is at my right hand, I am safer than I feel. Therefore, verse nine, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My whole being rejoices. I think that means I'm supposed to like dance or something. (laughs) You've turned my morning into dancing. My whole being rejoices. My whole being rejoices. It reminds me of Malachi. 4-2, as for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I've seen that. I've seen it. Sometimes, as I mentioned, my eyes look elsewhere and my joy drains away. And, And nobody who knows me thinks that Tim just has a perpetually joyful disposition. That would not be true of me. I can be fairly melancholy left on my own. I knew this eight-year-old girl in Joplin who was voted by her class at school as the happiest child in class. And I thought, that is a category in which I have never even been nominated. (laughs) Never got an honorable mention in natural happiness. But I rejoice greatly in the Lord. The Lord makes my whole being rejoice. When I put my eyes on him, because I fix my eyes on him, my joy is restored. And then he says, 
My flesh also rests securely, or my body will rest in safely, safety, because you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or to the pit or to the realm of the dead or won't allow your Holy One to rot or to perpetually decay. On, on Pentecost, Peter said that Jesus fulfilled this when he rose from the, from the grave. But because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, there is another resurrection coming. Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead in Colossians 1.18. Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? He's coming back, and when he comes back, God will give life to my mortal body by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And if, if I'm alive when he returns, I'm going to go up to meet him, and if I've died, he will resurrect whatever is left of my body and transform it into a glorious renewed body. And I believe that, and it's hard to believe but I think if God raised Jesus from the dead, he can find whatever little pieces there are of me that he needs to build me again and put them back together. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a terrible hard miracle for God. He made me in the first place, and he started with just a tiny little bit of DNA, so it won't take much to build me the second time. I'm gonna come back. And so I used to think, well, this is just for Jesus. Now I say this, Lord, you will not let me, your chosen one, perpetually rot in the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, verse 11, the conclusion. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This means pleasures that do not fade. If you're following you, you Lord, you're the path of life. Your, your house is a happy house. And I do not want to trade those eternal pleasures for passing pleasures that just fade and go away. So I'm done. I'm done here. And I wanted to say, if you are following Jesus, I hope that this Psalm of David will help you pray. And I hope that you will know the fullness of joy that is yours in Jesus. Hope that you'll know the pleasure and, and joy of being among God's people, among all these heroes. Ordinary people in whom the power of God is working. And if you're not following Jesus, I hope you'll hear him calling you today. Because he loves you a lot. And he says, if you are weary and burdened down, he says, come to me, I'll give you rest. Let's pray. We stand to pray.